Beyond your marriage, family, and friends, the most significant contribution you made to humanity is. And for me, I was thinking, I have no idea what they would say today. I'm going to change that. And he did make a significant change in his life. Welcome to First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and Dean Neil Walney of the Halftime Institute will tell his story. I'm grateful that you're with us to hear this week's broadcast. Our interview will start in just a moment. Please take advantage of our First Person website and smartphone app. Both allow you to listen anytime to a wide range of interviews as people talk about their faith in Christ and how their life has changed as a result. Listen on demand at firstpersoninterview.com or by using the app, you can download programs to listen to offline at any time. Search for the app in your favorite app store. It's called First Person Interview. Also at our website, take a few moments to sign up for the free online devotional from the Far East Broadcasting Company. Dean Niwalny is CEO of the Halftime Institute, dedicated to helping men and women find spiritual significance in the second half of life. He's the author of Trade Up, How to Move from Just Making Money to Making a Difference. Dean's own story explains it best, and together in the studio, I ask him to describe his goals prior to having Christ in his life. Well, I grew up in northern Wisconsin, and uh, the focus for me as a very young man was how could I get to the point of accumulating a lot of net worth in toys? Because I thought at a young age, the person with the most toys wins, right? <laughs> so so I, I remember as a young man in Wausau, Wisconsin, my parents always saying, look at those folks, look at what they have. So I thought in my mind, that's what I want to be. Someday. I want to be like that someday. Mm-hmm. So my focus before Christ was really a focus on myself and how can I get to this point of maybe finding happiness through material possessions and wealth. And and you and I both know that that doesn't happen. Yeah, ultimately you came to that answer. But at the time, I mean, things were starting out well and going well for you, right? Yeah, things went well. I, I decided after going through college to go into the financial services industry because I knew at that point that those folks made a fair living. So I thought that good idea to go into that business, which I did. And I moved myself up the, the ladder, if you will, to the management level and was quite successful as a financial advisor and then in management. But ultimately, I got to this point in my life that I called the smoldering discontent season of my life Mm. where I thought, there has to be more to life than this. This is not bringing me the joy and happiness that I thought it would. There's an emptiness to it. Hmm. Yeah, I read that you were looking out your office window in Lake Michigan when that came to your mind. Yeah, in 2006, uh, I was standing in my office, and I really felt a prompting from the Lord that day. And I turned around, and I looked out, and on the left side was Lake Michigan. On the right side were high rises. Uh, I'm thinking to myself, I should be the happiest person alive. I have a beautiful wife, two great kids. And I just screamed out the window, God, there has to be more to life than this. There has to be more to life (laughs) than this. Yeah. But back up a moment. When did Christ become important to you? Yeah. I was raised Catholic and uh, went to church every weekend but didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I went through a very difficult season of life in 1993, 1994. I was married at the time, 
and it just wasn't a good fit. I, I didn't have any real faith at that point. Mm-hmm. But at that, we decided at that point to get divorced. And that was a, a dark period of time for me. But I was introduced at the time to, to a gentleman that I didn't know. A, a lady in the office saw that I was going down the wrong path and thought, Dean, can I help you? I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine. And I said, well, sure. Who is it? And she said, well, just trust me. Just meet him. Just go to lunch with him. <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> Famous last words. And I said, well, Kim, who who is it? And she said, well, he's a pastor at the local church. And I said, why in the world do I want to go to lunch with a pastor? I don't want to do that. And uh, one thing led to another. I ended up going to lunch at 12 o'clock and left there at 4 in the afternoon. Wow. And Paul Wilson, Pastor Paul Wilson, is my best friend. And that happened in 1994. And from that point forward is when I really started to think through, I need to have, I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. What does that look like? So I started exploring a number of things. I went to a breakfast that Chris Carter, the wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings, Mm -hmm. held in Minnesota, Minneapolis. And then I also went to Promise Keepers. And it was during that time period, if you will, that I accepted Christ and life changed for me. Wow. I was probably at the same Promise Keeper event. Which one were you at? I was at the one in Minneapolis. Yeah, I was there. You were? Yeah, in the radio booth. Yeah. Where where else? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, then take me back to that momentous decision that there has to be more. There has to be something more for me than just what I'm experiencing in life at this point. You're you're a follower of Christ at this point, and you're asking that question. Yeah. uh, when When I looked out the window and said, there has to be more to life than this, my whole focus, Wayne, was all on myself. And, and I just thought, you know what, I don't want to be on the world's economy, if you will. I want to be on God's economy. And, and, and that looked completely different to me uh, than focusing on myself. And I really spent time during that season getting a better understanding of who, who am I, how has God wired me, but really what is God calling me to do? What is my, as I say, our my Ephesians two ten calling mm-hmm. that says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has prepared beforehand? So as I was going through this smoldering discontent season, I just thought to myself, if my life ended today, what impact did I have on the kingdom? I really didn't have any. I had a lot of impact on myself, yeah. but I didn't have any impact on the kingdom. A lot of people don't have the courage to ask that question. Yeah. Well, it's a scary question to ask if you really get to this point of saying, I am going to surrender myself to the Lord. Whatever you want to do, Lord, mm-hmm. I'll do. You know, Most people think when they do that, they're going to be shipped to Africa or something, <laughs> which, yeah. which does happen, uh-huh. but uh, not everybody. Right. But for many people, and it's perfectly legitimate, they uh, turn that uh, to their business career and they become a witness in the workplace. They stay in the job. But that wasn't what God had for you. Tell me about that part of the process. Yeah, I would say that through the halftime program, 70% of folks that go through our program actually stay right where they're at. And that's a good thing. It's a great thing. I remember Bill Hybels. I went to Willow Creek Community Church when I lived in Chicago. Bill Hybels said if everyone left the marketplace and went into the ministry, who would be a light in the dark world? Right. Actually, backing up to when I did accept Christ, I thought 
I have to leave the marketplace. I have to go into the ministry. I love the Lord. I'm going to serve yeah. the Lord. That's and, typical of new believers, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it is. <laughs> and and Heibel's, uh mentioned, you know, this idea of yeah. if you left the marketplace, went to the ministry, who'd be a light in the right. dark, dark world? And yet he did lead you otherwise. Yeah, he did. He did. And I tried everything I could to serve the best I could in the marketplace setting. But for me, it just wasn't enough. And uh, I felt that I had skills, abilities, and talents that could be used and leveraged more so outside the marketplace mm-hmm. going into the ministry. But I didn't know at the time what that was. Yeah. All right. I, I'm getting ahead of myself here. What is it that you are doing now? Well, right now I am the CEO of the Halftime Institute in Dallas, Texas. Halftime for a lot of people means Bob Buford. That's right. Who was the author of the of the book Halftime, a very influential book in many people's lives. Yeah, Bob wrote the book in 1995, and now we're in seven different countries, and uh, it, a million people have read the book. It's interesting mm-hmm. that Bob was encouraged to write the book Halftime by Peter Drucker, who mm-hmm. was his mentor. And Bob thought, well, I'll just write a book about my life. And Peter said, well, you know, why don't you call it or, or have the tagline be going from success to significance. And Bob said, well, I like that, but I don't know what to call the book. He said, well, you like football. Just call it halftime. <laughs> and and the reason I mentioned that is Bob really wrote the book about his life with no idea that it would ever sell. That wasn't the idea. Mm-hmm. But now almost a million copies have sold. Yeah. So what is ha- the Halftime Institute now? Mm-hmm. The Halftime Institute is, is a program. It's a platform that really helps um, – men and women transition from success to significance. It's a platform that allows them to really identify what are their strengths, what are their spiritual gifts, what are their passions, and really make eye contact with God. And over the course of a year, through coaching and and, and other resources, they will ultimately get to this point of understanding their Ephesians 2.10 calling, whatever that is, their sweet spot, as we call it. And then we help them at that point do one of three things. We help them redesign what they're doing, where they're at. We help them identify an organization that may be doing what they want to do or what the Lord has called them to do, or we help them start a new organization if that's the calling. We'll talk more about the Halftime Institute, but let me go back to your own story, Dean. Mm -hmm. Any regrets of uh, leaving that lucrative career in, in business and doing what you're doing? I have absolutely no regrets. I really don't. I, I miss the energy of the financial services industry because every day was different and there was always this level of energy. I miss that. But I have absolutely no regrets uh, that I left. It's interesting that when folks that I work with come and visit or I see them, they're like, Dean, I just don't understand it. You took an 80% pay cut. You went into the nonprofit world, and you're the happiest I've ever seen you. <laughs> Explain yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I, I, I love it. I would never go back. Yeah. But at the same time, you can see how God prepared you for what you're doing now. Yeah. Well, when you're going through being prepared, you don't really realize you're being prepared. True. Until you, you, you look back. And now when I look back to even 1999, when I heard Bob Buford get interviewed by Bill Hybels at Willow Creek, I didn't really know what that meant. But now when I connect the dots, you know, 20 years later, I understand how this all worked together. We'll talk more with Dean Neil Walney of the Halftime Institute coming up in just a moment on First Person. 
This program is listener-supported through your support of the Far East Broadcasting Company. I'm Ed Cannon of FEBC with a word of thanks for your prayerful support of what God is doing through radio and media in many countries. For video stories and scripture that will encourage your heart for the gospel, please sign up for our 30-day devotional at firstpersoninterview.com. There's no obligation, and you'll be amazed at what you learn. Go to firstpersoninterview.com. My guest is Dean Niewalny, who is CEO of Halftime Institute and the author of Trade Up, How to Move from Just Making Money to Making a Difference. This book is really your story, isn't it, Dean? It is my story. The, the first part of Trade Up is is about me, the first four chapters. The rest is really a guide to help others get started rewriting their second half if they want to do that. Second half meaning that everyone's second half starts at a different time. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to focus on this 45 to 65-year-old age group, if you will, but we have kids, I say, 23 <laughs> years old now going through the program, and we've had folks as old as 87. Well, it's encouraging that uh, both old and young uh, are doing that. I'm thinking of the young, and, and you know, too often we wait until almost too late to make yeah. a change like that, don't we? Yeah, and this idea of going from making money to making a difference, or the halftime book's tagline was going from success to significance. The young is saying, I want to be successful and significant right now. Right. And there's nothing wrong with making money. Absolutely nothing wrong. Kingdom principles need to come into play here, but there's nothing wrong with making a good living and, and uh, doing it uh, for the glory of God. Yeah, I, the myth, one of the myths that I see after, or I hear when people read halftime is, well, Bob Buford's really wealthy and he gave that all up. Well, you don't have to give up making money. It's all your perspective on money and how mm-hmm. you use the money. Money can be used for a lot of good. Right. So you're in your office uh, overlooking Lake Michigan, downtown Chicago, and you're asking yourself a deep question. And uh, what happened after that? Well, after that, I after I made the com or yelled out the window, I thought, what do I do now? But I I felt the Lord say to me, not in an audible voice, but I felt the Lord say to me, Dean, it's time for you to simplify your life. I have other plans for you. And I didn't know what that meant. That was an interesting conversation with my wife that night. <laughs> I was I just going to say that people think you were strange <laughs> for, for uh, coming home and uh, announcing this. Oh, my, my, my wife and I, she already knew that I was thinking through some of this. But so we sat down, prayed about it, and ironically, my boss called me a week later and said, hey, Dean, would you like to be part of a Bible study? I said, I'd love to. What are we studying? He said, we're going to study this book called Halftime. <laughs> and we started what was called the Halftime Huddle. Huh. And we had 12 men that got together every other week, and we went through the book and answered the questions. But I, if halftime was there or if it wasn't there, I was in this smoldering discontent season where I was going to figure out what God's calling was for me mm-hmm. going forward. And it just so happened that halftime was the avenue that I used yeah. to get there and ironically ended up being yeah. becoming the CEO. You of can see the hand of the Lord in that, can't you? Mm. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Halftime, Halftime Institute. Um, mm. where, where does it start for someone? 
Yeah, it really starts with this smoldering discontent in their spirit. It, it, it's God tugging on their heartstrings saying there's more to your life than just making money or being successful. And, and if you're in the marketplace, it's really when that, that raise or promotion or next pat on the back doesn't really mean a whole lot. It doesn't have the same feeling it used to. So at that point, most people go and in, in, in are given the book halftime or read the book halftime and that book really catapults them into a conversation with someone at our at, at our offices in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And that begins a year-long journey for that person to really figure out who they are, how they're wired, and, and hopefully help them get connected to where they need to be. So this is not a casual thing. Mm. Th- this, is, this is intentional. It is intentional, and it's not an overnight thing. Uh, I would argue that uh, it's going to be some of the hardest work you'll ever do. Like the rich young ruler, do you have some who say the cost is too great? Absolutely. The, the, the rich young ruler, we use that all the time at halftime. Folks, uh, they don't want to give up worldly success, worldly possessions to make the transition. And, 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 and there's, there's fear involved. Mm-hmm. It's, it, a lot of folks come through the program and they find their security in their wealth or possessions. They don't find their security in the Lord. Yeah. And we, need, we work on that with them and help them work through yeah. that. So you're committed to scripture and scriptural principles. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, tell me more how it works. I mean, if, if I wanted to get involved with a Halftime Institute, do, do I do anything online? Or do I buy a book? What do I do? Well, the best way to do it is to read Halftime and trade up and then reach out to us via halftime.org. And then there's a lady there that uh, will will guide you through the process and, and give you uh, an explanation of how our program works and really kind of vet to make sure that you're you're in this season of halftime and that you're a good candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's really two programs at halftime. One's called the Fellows Program, which is a year-long intensive coaching program. And then there's the halftime one-on-one program, which is simply coaching. Boy, sounds good. Again, the website is? Halftime.org. All right. We'll put that on our website as well. Well, tell me some stories of people who have uh, benefited from Halftime. Well, there's a a number all over the world. I love using these two stories because I think when people think of Halftime or this idea of going from success to significance, it always needs to be this grandiose move where (laughs) I got to give everything up and I got (laughs) to leave the marketplace and I got to go into the ministry. I'm making such a sacrifice here. (laughs) Yeah. And here's two stories. One is Graham Power in Cape Town, South Africa. He reads the book in 1998 he decides that he his Ephesians 2.10 calling, if you will, is to gather people for prayer. So he rented out uh, a building, and he had 200 people pray at the very first prayer session that he put on. This year, 300 million people prayed at the Global Day of Prayer, and Graham Power started that by reading Halftime in 1998. Huh. On the other hand, we have Sandy Griffith uh, in Houston, Texas, And she went through the program and found that her calling was to rock babies of drug-addicted mothers down at Bentob Hospital in Houston, Texas. And they're both—God looks at them both equally as important, right? right? And so your calling, my calling, you know, God puts it on your heart, whatever it is. So those two stories, I think, are fascinating. Mm -hmm. 
That, those are great stories, Dean. Uh, in your book, Trade Up, you ask uh, some questions or suggest questions that people ask of themselves. What are, what are some of those things that we need to be asking ourselves? Well, I always like to start with three questions that I call my disruptive questions. Number one is cost accounting. What is all your winning costing you? It's costing you something. It's costing you your relationship with your spouse. Maybe it's costing you your relationship with your kids. It might be costing you your faith. It might be costing you your health. But it's time. What I did is when I took a look at what is all this winning costing me, it was costing me my relationship with my wife and kids Mm. because I wasn't home very often. I I didn't have a, a deep relationship with them. High price to pay. High price to pay. The second question has to do with asset protection. What do you have that is absolutely priceless and what are you doing to protect that? And for me, it is my wife, kids, my relationship with the Lord, and my health. And so I, I, I purposely put on my calendar days to spend with my wife. I never miss my kids' events if I can help it. So I want to protect that. That's priceless. And the third is metrics, and it has to do with if your life was perfect two years from now, what would that look like? Not what are you doing, but what would that look like? Yeah. And for me, it's... I'm, I'm flourishing in my Ephesians 2.10 calling. My wife is flourishing in her Ephesians 2.10 calling. We, we have a strong relationship with the Lord. Our kids have high self-esteem. And for all of us, it may be, it may be different, but it's those things for me. That's what life would look like if it was perfect. Yeah. In your book, you also encourage us to start at the end mm-hmm. and look back on what our life uh, counts for. Mm-hmm. In other words, you know, if you're, you know, 65 years old, project yourself to 85 and what question you should be asking yourself. Yeah, I'm happy you brought that up. We do uh, an exercise that is uh, was impactful for me. It's called the 80th birthday exercise. Right when you start that. So I don't have to, to wait till I'm 85. Huh? <laughs> you don't, you don't. <laughs> But this was impactful for me, mostly because I just got done. When I did this exercise, I just recently had been to a funeral for a a little old lady, and there was 500 people at the church. And I was thinking to myself, why are there so many people here? And the person next to me said, because she built into their lives. This is the legacy she was leaving. And I Mm -hmm. thought to myself, wow, I don't know what my legacy is, but the 80th birthday party is interesting. It's your 80th birthday today. And your spouse or friend invites you to a restaurant and a hundred of your closest friends, family, and business associates are there. And there's a microphone in front of the room. And they walk up to the front of the room and they answer this question, beyond your marriage, family, and friends, the most significant contribution you made to humanity and the kingdom is. And for me, I was like, when, when I did that exercise, I was like, I have no idea what they would say. They would say, Dean did a lot for himself. Now, I was 46 at the time, but I didn't have any impact. I wasn't doing anything that had eternal value. So that exercise was really impactful. Dean Nielwalny's book is titled Trade Up, How to Move from Just Making Money to Making a Difference. If you'd like a link to the book and more about Dean and the Halftime Institute, please visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Today's conversation was made possible by the Far East Broadcasting Company, a ministry dedicated to reaching the world for Christ through radio and new media. You can learn more about FEBC also at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. As a matter of fact, I encourage you to sign up for a free online devotional featuring the testimonies of listeners from around the world. 
There's no obligation. You can register at firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, we'll meet another ministry CEO, Valerie Bell of the children's ministry, Awana. Now with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next time for First Person. First Person.